Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Well, hello, Victory Church. We're so glad that you're with us today, whether you're watching online or at one of our campuses, or maybe you're watching this podcast weeks from now. Uh, We're excited that you're taking some time out of your day to join us today. We're continuing this series that we're in called Available. And every week we've gone through this process and through this journey of really launching our year off in a different way, saying to the Lord, I'm available to you, Lord. I'm not necessarily here to be a receiver and a consumer. I want to be a giver. I want to use my life as a sacrifice, use my life as something to advance the kingdom. Uh, week one, we, we talked about this process and we said, this is where I'm at, Lord. And we, we read our foundational verse, which I'll read in just a moment. But before we can ever decide where we're going, we got to figure out where we're at. And this was a self-analysis. This is a self-examination. Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what I got. This is what I have to work with. And then we also, the next week we went into, last week if you were here, we talked about this is where I'll go. This is where I'll go. And this all comes out of this foundational verse in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, you can go there with me. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. This is where I'm at. Send me. This is where I'll go. And so we've talked about that the last two weeks. This is where I'm at, and this is where I'll go. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to stay in the same kind of vein of talking about this is where I'm at, this is where I'll go, this is where I'll do. Uh, Today we're going to talk about this, but today we're going to talk about something uh, that I rarely speak about at Victory Church. We do it a couple of times a year, Uh, but I I came to kind of warn you in advance because if you're really going to get to the point, and some of us are already there, some of us are thinking about going there, But if you're really going to get to the point where you're willing to say, I'm available to the Lord, uh, the danger and the beauty in this statement of saying, Lord, I'm fully available to you, everything that I have. There is one area that I have witnessed both in my life and in other people's lives as a pastor that we are many times the most reluctant. We'll sing it, you know, we'll sing, I'm available and we'll cry at our heart and we'll, you know, we'll lift our hands and we'll say it. But as we walk this journey out, there's certain areas where it becomes excruciatingly painful at times and very, very difficult. And the one today that I want to talk to you about is money. I know, right? It's awkward. You feel that tension in the room? It's like super weird. But I, I want to talk about this today because it really is one of the most difficult ways difficult areas of our lives that we fully engage on saying, God, I am available. Everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is going to be for you. And so the text I'm going to use today as we walk through this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. This is Paul speaking, and he says it this way. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. 
And having food and raiment, raiment is simply another word for clothing, having food and clothing, let us be there with content. What a powerful word. Verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10 is where we're going to camp today some. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That's a crazy, powerful statement. Which while some coveted, coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. First week we talked about this is where I'm at. Last week we talked about this is where I'll go. This week we're going to talk about this is what I'll give. This is what I'll give. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. God, this is a sensitive area, a sensitive topic. God, give me wisdom. Um, let my words be yours. Uh, let this be encouraging, enlightening, empowering, Father. And may we stick to your truth of what Scripture says. We thank you, God. We're coming at this today with open minds. Speak to us clearly in Jesus' name. And everybody said, let's get brutally honest, okay, about money. Money, 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 money. So how many of you would say, um, by a show of hands, you would consider yourself generous? Raise your hands super, super high. Leave it up. Leave it up. Now, if you're in need of something today, look around. Some people are like, if you can't make your mortgage payment, just look around. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm going to be super honest with you guys today. So uh, I, I consider myself a giver. I love, I love to give. I love to be generous. Um, I was raised right by amazing parents who taught me this principle at a young age. Um, so, but there is one area that I struggle a little bit. You know, Paul said that we should be a cheerful giver. There is one area that I struggle with this, okay? And it's when I'm at, like, a restaurant and I'm ordering some nuggets or some, you know, Panda Express or something, and my total is $4.86, and they say, would you like to round that up to feed the starving kittens on the alley on 23rd Street? I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Now, I say yes. Don't get me wrong. I'm a nice guy. But I'm like, well, I don't know anything about these kittens. Like, do you have photos of these kittens? Like, do you have a pamphlet or something? Like, I'm just supposed to take your word that you're going to take my money and round? How do I know you're just not walking out of here with 500 extra dollars every day with all of your stuff, right? But no, I, w- I want to talk about giving today from this perspective because here's the, here's the truth about giving. When I say this is what I'll give, what I'm saying is in the future I'm going to give something. Many times when we walk into a new year, it's, it's, it's usually at the end of the year that we say, this is what I gave. And you get your tax contribution statements, you know. It's usually a past tense statement, this is what I gave. What if we went into the year saying, no, 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 no. this is what I'll give. I, I want to say, God, I'm available to you. And through prayer and fasting and, and talking this through with my family, with my spouse, I want to have a plan I want to do something intentionally. I don't want to be uh, reactionary in this thing called giving. I want to have a plan. I want to have an, a way that we're going to do this with intentionality. And that's what I want to talk about today as we, as we walk into this. So we're saying, God, I'm available. My money is available to you. So before we decide this is what I'll give, we must answer this really important question. Here's the question. I want to ask you this question. How's your relationship with money? 
Um, and you may be thinking, well, what do you mean? I don't really have a relationship with money. I have a relationship with human beings, not money. I want to talk to you for just a second about how this is one of the most critical questions that we must answer when it comes to our finances. In verse 9 of that same text, it says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Now, notice that it doesn't say those that are rich. It says those that will be. So those that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men and in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. I want to make a very, very important distinction. It does not say that money is the root of evil. Okay? It says the love of money, it's relationship. Love is a term that's used to describe some sort of a relationship. So what the Lord is saying is it's, it's not that money's evil, it's how you think about money and how you use money and how you distribute money and how you hoard money. It's your relationship with money. So what makes a good relationship? Well, think about this with your spouse or with, with somebody whom you love. It's time. It's somebody that you intentionally dedicate your time towards and it builds the relationship. Michelle gets my time because we're in relationship. It's somebody who gets your focus and somebody who gets your attention. Michelle has my full focus. She still takes my breath away when she walks into a room. It's my, she's my focus. I am pinpointed on her. She's the love of my life. We have relationship. And so she gets my affection. I hope Michelle's watching because she needs, you know, right? Come on. Can I get, just help me. Oh, babe. Like, I mean, so what else makes a good relationship? Uh, I guard and protect her. Like, she gets my time, she gets my affection, she gets my focus, so I'm going to protect that, okay? And if you, I love you too, but I'm glad Jesus loves you more than I do because if, if you come at my wife, I will cut you. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, so I'm guarding her. I'm going to guard her and to protect her. Now think about this, guys, in the terms of money. What's your relationship like with money? How much time do you spend in this relationship? How much focus and energy do you spend on this relationship? How much protection do you spend on protecting money and hoarding money and keeping it safe? So it's this idea of, the, of, of a relationship, the love of money. This term, love of money, is one word in the Greek. In fact, it's the only time in all of the Bible that this one Greek word is used for this one. It's pretty cool. This one passage is the only time this Greek word is used. And it means, I'm not going to try to say it, put it up there. It means extreme greed for wealth or material gain. The love of money the affection, the, the relationship. And so it, it kind of paints this picture. If the love of money is the root of all evil, a, we know what roots are. A root is something that provides nutrition to a bigger object that, that then goes on to produce fruit. And so it's kind of painting this picture that there is this tree called evil. And the Bible says, I ain't saying this, Paul's saying this, the root that feeds this tree of evil is called, what's your relationship like with your money? What does what this relationship look like? And this is a very important question that we all must answer because I talked about this a couple of weeks ago because money probably more than anything else can become an idol. Now remember, we talked about what an idol is. An idol is anything other than Jesus that brings you comfort. 
anything other than Jesus that brings you satisfaction. It's, it's, that, it's that picture that, that I talked about too where we build these idols and then we warm ourselves next to them. And it brings us comfort. And if I have a certain amount of money in the bank and a certain amount tucked away over here and a certain amount over here, then I've, oh, there's just something about it that brings a calm in me. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You should have savings. You should have all these things. And for every person that's a little bit different, money is not evil. Your relationship with it is what makes it evil or good. And so I want to ingrain this question into you that how is your relationship with money? In fact, I would say this, your relationship with money tells God what he can trust you with. Now, there's a couple of moments in this sermon, I'll let you know when we get to them, where it's just gonna be awkward, okay? And I always like, to me, awkwardness is just gotta confront the elephant in the room. That's awkward, okay? So the other day, um, a couple months ago, I gave Michelle, I'm not Michelle, she's always got my money. I gave Corey and Jace, some money. They had something at school and they came to me. There's always something at school, right? Parents like, good Lord, that's like an ATM, I'm like an ATM machine. It's just something all the time. And there was something coming up. They had to have money, but I didn't, they didn't know exactly how much. It was something they were going to go and buy Christmas gifts, yada, yada, yada. I don't know what it was. So I just gave them all, I gave both of them some money. I made the mistake. Normally I would ask for the change, but I didn't ask for the change. I was like, here's, here's the money. We're in a hurry. Separately, I didn't ask for it nothing, nothing was premeditated. Both of them came to me and said, oh, dad, here's your change. Oh, right? Like, holy cow. There are moments when you're raising kids that you're like, see, I did something right. Everybody see that? I did something right. I don't know what I did, but something good happened. It was one of those moments where they both came to me. I didn't prompt them to do anything. Both of them came to me. And it was like instantly the Holy Spirit said, you see the, you see the importance of relationship. What they were communicating to me is, Dad, my relationship with you is more important than my relationship with this money. So I want to give it back to you. It doesn't belong to me. You know the thing it told me? They knew that it wasn't their money. It belonged to Dad. So they brought it back to me. Now, what's the response of the father? The response of the father was, my relationship with you is more important than my relationship with the money that you brought back to me. So... Keep the change. Keep the change. And you can begin to see why relationship is so important with money. Your relationship with God precedes your relationship with money. Okay? So the opposite is also true. Your relationship with money is a window into your relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying that if you're not generous and if you don't give and you don't love God and you're not a Christian, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it just gives me a little window into your relationship with God? And is your relationship with money greater than your relationship with the Lord? I might even, uh, let's go back to verse 10. Let me read it for you again. Verse 10. I'm going to read this verse over and over again. You're going to be so sick of it by the end of the sermon. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred now, I'm reading, I'm reading the King James Version on purpose. I don't normally preach King James Version, but I like some of these words. It says that, that because of their love for money, they have coveted it. They've become, it's become an idol, and they actually want it more than they want anything else. They've coveted it, and then it tells us the results. They have erred from the faith. Now, erred in the Greek, it means to stray and to lead away from truth. So it's saying that the love of money, your relationship with money, actually has the power to cause you to stray from your relationship from the Lord. 
and can actually begin to build a tree called evil. And so it goes on to say this, and it didn't just err them from the faith, it pierced, they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This word pierced in the Greek means to impale, to torture your own soul. Well, Paul, that's a little strong. He's saying, watch your relationship with money, because out of it flows so much. What caused all of these things? What caused the erring from the faith? What caused the piercing themselves and their own, and their own souls? A bad relationship with money. It's a bad relationship with money. So I don't think that anybody in this room, anybody at Edmund, anybody watching online would be like, well, forget you, John. I'm pursuing a bad relationship with money. I'm, I'm looking for selfishness, and I'm going to be bankrupt in three years, and I'm excited about it. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be mean to people. Just call me Scrooge. Scrooge. You know, I'm just going to be mean to people. I don't care what you think. I don't think really anybody goes into life thinking this way. So the question then becomes, well, then how do I have a healthy relationship with money? Two things we're going to talk about, and then we'll get out of here. How do I have a healthy relationship with money? Number one, get a grip. Get a grip. Now, I'm not saying get a grip on money. That's bad. you got to get a grip. So if you don't get a grip on your money, your money will get a grip on you. And this is usually what happens. Is you, we got to get a grip, people. we got to become good stewards. we got to understand the power of money and our relationship with it and get a grip on it and get a handle on it so that money doesn't put its claws on me. The same verse in verse 9. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction. And Paul could not be more blunt into the damages that a love of money can produce. And this word snare in the Greek is the Greek word pagis, and it means a trap or a noose to be seduced into entanglement. That when we have an unhealthy relationship with money, it's literally like a noose. And it grips us, and it becomes a snare, and it, it entangles us over and over and over again. And as Christ, as Christ followers, the world may not have this figured out, but we have to get a grip. We have to get a grip on this, or it'll get a grip on us. So how, here's a few questions. How do I know if I need to get a grip? Okay, ready for the other awkward moment I was talking about? Here it comes. Couple of couple of ways that I may know that I need to get a grip. Okay, couple of questions we can ask ourselves. Be honest with yourself. Do you give more? Do you give as much to God's kingdom as you do your own kingdom? That right there. That's what I was talking about. Um, do 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 you do you get frustrated when pastors preach about giving? Right? Do you that, see, hear that laugh? That was an awkward laugh. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> break the tension up in here. So, so these, are, these are triggers. So um, do you get frustrated when people ask you for money? These, these, are things, these are things that can talk to us and speak to us and say, maybe I, maybe I do need to get a grip. You know, this is a sermon on generosity. This isn't a sermon on tithing at all. Like, that's, that's a different sermon. But I will say that Another way that you might know that you need to get a grip is if, is if tithing is not a part of your faith walk. Like, 
that's, that's a sign maybe that, that I, I, gotta get a, I gotta get a budget, I gotta get something going here, I gotta get my life figured out, I gotta stop waiting to the end of the year and saying that's what I gave, that's what was left over. I gotta be intentional on the front of the year and say, no dadgummit, this is what I'm gonna give, come hell or high water, everything else is gonna become secondary, I'm gonna be disciplined about this, I'm gonna find discipline in my life that I'm going to approach the year differently than I have in other years because even tithing is such a thing. Let me, let me just read you this, this verse, okay? There's a lot of Bible verses uh, in the Bible that are really powerful, that when you read them, they inspire you, they encourage you, they, they, uh, they, they cause you to have action. This is one that, that is such a powerful text. Maybe you already know where I'm heading with this, but it's Malachi 3, verse 8. I just want to camp here for just a second because I want to show you areas of whether or not you know you need to get a grip on something. Malachi 3, 8, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? And you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will, not, for yours will be a delightful land. This is a, I mean, this is a crazy, insane good promise. Like, let, let, me, let me say it this way. So let's say instead of it saying, if you will bring your tithe and offering into the storehouse, then I will. How would you react if, if I got up to read the Word of God and it says, um, bring one can of green beans into the storehouse that they will be, test me in this and see if I will not, you'll be like, well, let's give this a try. A can of green beans, are you kidding me? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll take a can of green beans to the grocery store to get 10 cents off coupon. Like, let's try this thing, you know? And here, locked in scripture is this crazy promise. So what is keeping us from tithing? Our relationship with money. It's relationship. I prepared myself for silence. I'm doing okay up here. And I'm not trying to get in your business. And, and I always preface this by saying, most, most pastors hate preaching on giving or they just avoid it altogether. Um, you see one of two things many times in the church. You see somebody who overly does it and you see those who never do it. Uh, I hope that I'm neither of those. My, my thing is this. I have seen this blessing in my life so much in being obedient with my money to say, God, none of this is mine anyways, that I, I if you come into church, you've heard me say this, if you don't give it here, I don't care. Like, the, my, our roof is not leaking. We're not trying to pay the bills here. We're good. Like, we're good stewards. We're fine. We've got plenty of margin. It's, it has nothing to do with that. I've just become so obsessed with God. I want every believer to, to, to figure this out. And our, our core value is we equip people to live, move, and be in the fullness of God. And so I want you to experience the fullness. And if you're not experiencing God's goodness when it comes to your money, you are not in the full. There is a fullness that is so amazing to watch your faith grow, to see God show up, to see when you get a grip on your stuff and figure out what God is doing in your life, and then to see the abundance of his blessings flow out in your life. You've got to experience this. So, so how do we get a grip? How do we do this? Let's get practical. How do we get a grip? Three ways to get a grip. First one is this. Before you can get a grip, you've got to get content. Contentment is probably the most important part of getting a grip. 
Because everything in this world that we live in, especially in our Western culture world that we live in, is all about grab, not, not, don't get a grip, grab. Grab as much as you can, get as much as you can, find your identity in things. But Paul doesn't say this. He starts this out in verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Like, I want gains. Y'all want some gains? Not just in the gym, fellas. Come on, you, I see some guys out here. You've been hitting the gym. You're getting your gains in. I want gains like everywhere. I want to, I want to see ROI. I want to see return on investment. According to Paul, is like, oh, you want gains? Get content. You're going to find tremendous gains in contentment. Now, I don't want to twist this. I don't want you to think that being content means you've got to be poor. It doesn't mean like, well, you have a nice car, so you're not content, and you need to sell everything and give it all to the poor. Then you're going to be a Christian. Then you're a good person. That's not what this says. Contentment becomes gains. God's like, you're content. I can trust you with more. So this is this part of getting contentment. This word contentment in the Greek, it means finding sufficiency. That's probably the best way to put it. It's a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. It's, it's finding sufficiency. Well, what do I find my sufficiency in? The only thing that can sustain you anyways is Jesus. I find my sufficiency. So Christ in you provides sufficiency for you. So maybe that sounds too simple, but really... The only way to find contentment is to understand that there's nothing in this world that you could ever find that would bring you to this stature in which finally you feel content. There's no such thing. So I must find my sufficiency in Jesus. And this is the way, the, the way of the world, is you, you, you attempt to get more. Uh, every attempt to get more is an attempt to be more. That's really the cycle. That's why nothing is ever enough. That's why if you, you, you thought 20 years ago, man, if I could just make 40 grand a year, Wow! And then you get there and you're like, hmm, I really did 60, God. It really, 40 wasn't quite enough. <laughs> because every attempt to get more is an attempt to be more. We begin to find our validity through these things. And really God's saying the only way to find contentment is to find that Christ is your only sufficiency. In Christ, there's nothing more to become. Amen. You're just there. That's the beginning of contentment. The second way we can get a grip is, this is super practical, but get a budget. Just start there. I, you know, one of our core values is we are that we steward God's resources well and with radical generosity. And that's really intentional, okay? We steward God's resources well and with radical generosity. You know what would be an insufficient core value? We are radically generous. Because you cannot be radically generous without margin. That's true. And this is why it's hard to preach on tithing, it's hard to preach on giving, because I just want to be super blunt and honest with you guys. A lot of you can't. It's not that you don't want to. You literally can't. You just can't. You got to get a grip. You got to find contentment. You got to find a budget. Begin to create margin. I don't care if your margin is just $10 this month. That's margin. You know what God obey? You know what God honors? Obedience. God doesn't care if you give away $8 or $80 million. It's the margin in which you are working within itself. That's why the woman came and gave two mites, the widow's mites. Jesus says she gave more than anybody else that's come in here. Because he doesn't care about the amount. It's not about the amount. It's are you being disciplined? Are you getting a budget? Are you finding contentment? And you look at your wife and you're like, babe, we canceled Netflix this month. So we got 13 extra dollars. What do you want to do with it? It's going to be awesome. 
And you're like, let's give $10 of it away. God's up there going, yes, yes. We think we're so insignificant that we can't make any difference. And we, we get all twisted up, even in our giving, because we measure it all the same way we measure money. It's all about the amount. Just find margin and begin to give. I like what Luke says in Luke 14, 28. It says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Did you know it's going to cost you something to be generous? You, you can't just say, God, I'm available, bless me, and once you do, I promise I'll be generous. Being generous will cost you something. He said, you guys sit down and you count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it or not. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was unable to finish. My question to you is, what have you started to build and you quit? Many of you have started to tithe and you quit. Many of you have started to chip away at your credit card debt and you quit. Get a budget. I know that's super practical. You don't normally hear a pastor say get a budget, but you should get a budget. Get a budget, okay? Third thing, get a grip. Ready? Get help. Get help. Like, stop being embarrassed to ask for help. Many of you, you just never saw it modeled. You grew up in a home where you didn't see generosity modeled. You didn't, your, your parents didn't teach you how to balance a checkbook. You didn't see good stewardship modeled. Guess what? Get help. Find a mentor. Find somebody to walk you through this. You need to take Financial Peace University. We believe in that class here. We provide it here at, at, at Victory Church. Um, take Financial Peace University. It's a really good class. In fact, I'm just going to pause right now. Somebody here at Edmund watching online needs to sign up for this. And I'm just going to stop long enough to say, here's how you do it, okay? Put that up on the screen. If you'll text the word steward to 97,000, you can sign up for that class right now. What is Financial Peace University? It's figuring out how to get a debt snowball to create margin in your life so that you can become more generous. Guys, get content, get a budget, and get help. Get help. Get a grip. Make 2021 differently. Stop asking God to bless you and bless you and bless you. Say, God, I'm available to you. What do I need to discipline myself to do? What do I need to get on board with? What, what, what do I need to do that's going to cost me something and make today different? Because I promise you, if you'll do this, if you'll get a grip, then the really fun part happens, okay? For many of you, giving is not fun because it's so gut-wrenching because you don't have the margin to do it. But if you'll get a grip, then, number two, you can let it loose. You can let it loose. And this is really fun. This is the fun part. And it says this in 1 Timothy 6, 6. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and, it's certain, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Paul is saying, you can't take it with you anyways. Let go of it. Let go of it. We think that in order to let it loose, we've got to get a grip. I gotta, I gotta stock more away. I gotta figure this out. I gotta, and God's like, no, you actually switched it up. The only way to get a grip is to let it loose. That's that's how you begin to see God move in 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 your life. So, well, how do I know what to give away? Okay, I want to camp here for just a quick second. Um, how do I know what to give away or an amount to give away? Here's here's one clue that I'll give you. Going back to the idea of an idol, okay. An idol is anything that you must have to find comfort. 
Okay, now I'm not an advocate. If God tells you to do it, do it. But I'm not an advocate of cleaning out your bank accounts and cleaning out your retirement accounts. Unless God says to do that, I think that's foolish. Okay, so I'm, don't, I'm not being this extremist here. If God tells you to do it, do it. But what I do think God challenges us to give away is anything that comes to take away. Okay, so if you have something in your life that you can't imagine your life without it, God might challenge you to give it away. Because it's something that you're finding comfort in. It's something that you're finding your validity in. It's something that you're, that's coming to take, it's actually something that's coming to take away. So what you're, what you're saying is, God, if there's anything in me that is holding me back, I'll, I'll release it. I'll, I hold it with an open hand. I don't wanna go through life gripping it. I wanna open my hands and say, God, if there's anything in me that you wanna take away, take it away. If there's anything in me that's, that's controlling me, I will release anything that's got a grip on me. I'm available. Everything that I have is available to you. And giving is one of the best ways to purify your heart. So this picture, I'll read it again. Verse 10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. So again, it's painting this picture of this evil tree, this tree called evil, and the root system that's feeding it is called the root system of the love of money. Everybody knows that if you want to change the fruit or if you want to change the tree, you've got to change the root because the root is the supply. I have found in my own life that giving is one of the most purifying things. I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying it's easy. But I, it purifies my heart to know that my motives are pure and that God is working on me in this ways. In Proverbs 11:24, it says, one person gives freely, gives these descriptions of how they give, yet gains, talk about gains. So I give and I gain. I let it loose and I get a grip. I let it loose and then I find a grip. And then it says, and another withholds unduly, but, become, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This, this word freely, this, this, this scatters freely in, in the Hebrew means to scatter, to disperse, to be liberal. That, that I'm going to, you don't see a farmer walk out into their field at seed time and be like, well, I don't know. Here's one. Let's see what happens. You know, they're like, because they understand. They understand the principle of seed and sowing and reaping. And this is what this is saying. And even um, Paul goes into it. Paul understood this principle. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, in the, in the Passion. I love the Passion translation in this text. It said, here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest. But the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart. Let it, let, it, let it just flow out, not from a sense of religious duty. He's not saying, I don't want you to do this out of religion. Don't let anybody coerce you or manipulate you into giving. If you ever feel manipulated to give at this church, don't give here. If you, because the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit will never manipulate you. He will never guilt you into it. If you ever feel manipulated to give, don't do it. Because Paul says, don't do it out of a religi religious spirit. If you're not giving generously, if you're not like, I am so excited to give right now, Paul says a pure heart gives in that way. That you're never like, well, shoot, I guess I'll give to these kittens and alleys. <laughs> yeah, round up to three, whatever, just do it. Like if you walk away like, oh, they got me again, then, <laughs> 
that's not God's intent, right? And if you ever feel that at this church, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work really hard, probably overly hard to make sure you never feel guilted into anything when it comes to giving because that's not God's heart. So when you let loose of money is when you get a grip. You keep going in verse 7. Watch what it says in verse 7. In, going back to the NIV. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. That's really clear. You give, now it doesn't say tithing, right? This is saying generous, giving generously. You decide in your heart. You're like, well, I'm not going to tithe because I, don't, I haven't decided that in my heart. That's a, that's a command. I'm sorry. Um, but when it comes to generosity, he says, you give what, what you feel and God is able. God, you could preach a whole sermon on that just right there. God is able. That should compel us to give more than anything else. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, there's contentment. You will abound in every good work, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts. Their gifts. I've scattered them. I have, I've loosened my grip, and I have scattered my gifts, and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies, this is, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Stop, okay? Saying, oh, you thought that seed was yours. Hmm. This says that he supplied that for you. So everything we have is God. Every, everything that we have is God. So it says, and so, so he who supplied seed to the sower, who's God, and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed. Supply and increase. It's like you want to get a grip, let it loose. He's saying that for the farmer who depletes their barn of seed and they spread it into the kingdom of God, God's like, I like that. Let me fill your barn back up. He will replenish the storehouse. He will replenish everything that you do. But the opposite is, is the opposite. If I hoard and keep, God's like, well, it looks like you got this under control. Looks like you got a grip. God, God pours out blessings on those who scatter freely. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. God will bless you for one reason and one reason only, so that you can keep being generous. You started out giving away $5 a month because that's all you could do. Years later, you're giving away thousands of dollars a month. Why? Because God saw your heart. It's a pure heart. And it wasn't about the amount. It was about the heart that was giving it. And so he trusted you more. Your relationship with him grew. Your relationship with money diminished. Your relationship with God grew. Now I can trust you with more money to do more for the kingdom. You see the cycle of God's giving. This is how he does this. This is what he does. So every year around this time, we do what we call the Heart for the House offering. And we, we, we start with a series. I get up and I do a State of the Church address, and then we take up what we call the Heart for the House offering. This is a, an offering that's nothing to do with tithe. It's, it's what we call above and beyond giving, where some people give that day and some people make commitments. You know what? For the rest of the year, I'm going to sow this seed into the church. And it's not a, it's not a pledge. We're not going to hunt you down. You don't even put your name on it. It's not, it's not about that. It's not about us, us tracking it and raising money. It's about us walking us through our relationship with God and understanding the principle of giving. And so it's a commitment that you make with your family. You don't make it to us. You make it 
to the Lord and, and with your family. And there is zero, it is, it is zero pressure. Uh, every single year, I'm like, ask the Holy Spirit, pray about what you would give. And then if you don't want to give, don't give. It's, it's, we're not trying to raise money to, to patch a roof or anything of that nature. It's just, it's basically what you're saying is this house has poured into me and I trust this house and I believe in the future and the vision, the vision of this house and I want to plant a seed in fertile soil. And so here's what I want to ask you to do over the next couple of weeks. In your seat when you got here, uh, you would found one of these. Okay, if you're watching online, you can actually get a digital version of this. You can go to victory.church forward slash heart and you can actually do this digitally. So what this is for, let me just give you a little game plan. What this is for is you will take this home, okay, for two weeks. The Heart for the House offering is on February the 7th. That's Super Bowl Sunday, okay? Easy way to remember it. Uh, no comment on who's going to be there, okay? Leave that for later. Uh, so, so it's on February the 7th. February, February the 7th, I'll get up. I'll do my State of the Church address. We'll do the Heart for the House offering. The way this looks on the inside, this, the center section of this, you'll, you'll notice is very different this year. Usually, we, we start off by saying, hey, the center section, tell us what you're believing God for in 2019, 2020, and we'll pray with you. And we're going to sow a seed and believe that God's going to bring a harvest. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But this year, we are doing something drastically different. The middle section is you saying, you know what, my family and I have prayed, and these are the areas of our life that we want to make ourselves available to God. We could do a better job of making our time, our talent, and our treasures available to God, and in these areas, we're going we're gonna to do this in 2021. This part you keep forever. You put this on your fridge, you put it where you brush your teeth, put it, put it wherever you spend a lot of time. I almost said something for the fellows about a toilet, but I didn't. I didn't, I didn't say it. <laughs> Wherever you spend a lot of time, put it there and remind yourself of your commitment to the Lord, that I'm going to make myself available in, in these areas. The, the, the far right portion is what you bring back on February the 7th, okay? Now, if you forget it, no big deal. We'll have extra ones. But the far right is you're, you're saying, hey, my church family, can you guys help me pray about these areas of my life? We need help in prayer. And at the bottom of this is where you can make a commitment to the Lord. Okay? And again, there's, your name will be nowhere on this. We're not going to track you down. You're going to pray about this. you say, God, what do you want us to do? And what we're saying, as for me and my family, this is what we'll give. We're not going to wait to the end of the year and say, this is what we gave. We're going to say, this is what we'll give. And with God's help, we're going we're to do this. Okay? And listen, if God tells you to give it somewhere else, give it somewhere else. It's not about this house. Okay? It's about God doing a work in all of us and challenging us in greater ways when it comes to our finances. Say, God, I sing the song, I pray it, but this year's different. I really do want to be available to you. Whatever that looks like, God, I'm, I'm available to you. So I have four requests for you as that comes up. Number one, over the next two weeks, ask the Holy Spirit what you should do. Okay, first and foremost, that's the most important one. Ask the Holy Spirit. If you'll ask the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you. You know, in your prayer time, should we give? My wife and I, sometimes we'll both pray and then we'll come together and be like, this, God put this number on my heart. How much, what did he put on your heart? And we'll, we'll talk it through and, and even figure out what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to me? And they're not always the same. You know, we usually go with the higher number. <laughs> but what, what's the Holy Spirit saying? That's really the end of the day. And I always say this, if the Holy Spirit says don't give, don't give. Super easy, okay? Here's the second thing that I've just started doing this year, and I think it's super fun and super impactful. 
Um, talk to your family. Talk as a family. So the reason I say this, like, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, I had one of the coolest moments with my kids. I'm going to try not to cry. You know me. But they love to go out in the hot tub at night. So we were just chilling in the hot tub, talking, talking life. And it was during the time where I'd started reading all these journals. And so um, Corey started talking about, for some reason, she started talking about Tesla cars. Dad, we should get a Tesla. I'm like, I agree. Let's do it. No. <laughs> and I just said, you know, babe, we could probably afford a Tesla. We could probably get a, get a loan and, and make the payment. And that'd be cool. But one thing that we try to do as a family, Corey, and so I just started telling her all these stories of all these times in history that we'd given away money. And I'd tell her how we paid this person's mortgage, and she was like, what? And what I realized I had failed to do as a father is we lived a radically generous life as a family, but I didn't communicate it to my kids. I, weren't, I, I wasn't letting them live it out with me. And I pulled out my journal. We came inside and I said, guys, you got to see this. And I pulled out my journal like 20 years ago. And I, I, I wrote about how our tires were bald on our car. And I didn't know there was wires sticking out the side. And I didn't know how we were going to do it. And we saved up. We had to get $200 to get new tires for the front two tires. And, and at work one day, somebody came in asking for new, t- said that they needed help with tires. And so your mom and I, we just, and to see the countenance on my children's faces change, from we should get this and we should do this and we should go here on vacation and what if we did this? It all became, so even in this process and in this journey, you're shaping your kids because you're sitting them down saying, guys, in this family, we tithe. In this family, God gets our best, he gets our first. And in our family, we are radically generous. In our family, we steward God's resources well. And yes, we could have a lake house, and yes, we could drive nice cars, and we could do all that if we wanted to, but we feel like we're on this earth to help people around us, not to just help ourselves. So we're going to live a blessed life. You are blessed, by the way, kids. But I want you to see all that we're doing to help people around the globe. So talk, talk as a family. Number three, get a grip. Over the next two weeks, get a grip. Look at your budget, you know. Well, we've got Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and Netflix. Maybe we could do with just Netflix. Just, I don't know where your budget's at. I don't know how slim your budgets are, but I know there's always places to create margin. And so now what we're saying is, you know what? Instead of giving $13 a month to Netflix, we're going to give $13 a month to the kingdom of God. It's not much, but God honors it. So just get a grip. Just figure out a way to get a grip. Get a grip on it and and watch God show up. And then last but not least, on February 7th, we're going to let it loose. We're going to let it loose. Whether it's in this house or you give it somewhere else, like I said, I don't really care. But I I want us to begin to have have a, I want us to be a church that's so generous, like so insane generous. The people around this city are like, Victory Church? Yeah, I know that church. It's crazy what they do. I want, I want it to be known for generosity. I want to be known what we're for, not what we're against. Okay? So that's what I want to challenge you with. Okay? For the next two weeks. Pray, talk as a family, get a grip, and let it loose. February the 7th. Let me pray for us today. Father, I pray that over the next two weeks, God, that you would become so real to us and how you're leading us and prompting us and challenging us. And we don't want to just be a bunch of consumer Christians, God, that just totally make this world all about us. 
We, we may not always get it right, Lord, but what we're saying is to start this year off, we want to say we're available. We're available to your kingdom. Use us, our time, our talent, our treasure. It's yours, all of it, Lord. Now guide us in how to use it wisely, how, how to be good stewards of it, and help us to be radically generous to those around us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.